Welcome to the next edition of Grid Forward Chats. Today we have with us two leaders around energy transmission, former chair of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, Rich Glick, and uh, the leader of Grid Strategies, Rob Gramlich. Gentlemen, thanks for being on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, good to be with you. Uh, uh, Chair Glick, maybe I can have you introduce yourself first. Um, I think everybody will know that role that you held, but tell us a little bit about uh, your background and especially what you're doing these days. Sure. Well, thanks. Um, so I've, I've been involved in energy issues for a number of years, uh, and uh, particularly with regard to uh, clean energy issues. I used to work for a clean energy developer. Um, I've worked in government on and off Congress, the Department of Energy, and then most recently at the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, as you noted. And then um, uh, uh, currently I'm a principal with uh, GQ New Energy Strategies, which is a consulting firm that actually just started out with myself and uh, a former colleague of mine at FERC. And uh, we've been working on uh, providing strategic advice to companies as they navigate this clean energy transition that we're, we're in. Great. Over to you, Rob. What, what have you been keeping busy with? Uh, what are you working on these days? Sure. Well, first, we should be clear that Rich was not only in government, he was a senior counsel in the Senate Energy Committee and senior advisor at the Department of Energy. So he's one of a very rare breed of having been an executive legislative uh, you know, senior position. So uh, anyway, I uh, yeah, I work at Grid Strategies as my consulting firm now. We do bulk power transmission and power market issues, mostly thinking about kind of 2030-ish time frame and uh, decarbonization, high clean energy scenarios, and how do you make a, a you know an affordable, reliable grid around that. I've been doing this work for around 30 years, um, starting at um, uh, FERC in uh, right around uh, Order 888 time. I came in uh, and wrote three words of that order. Um, as the low, lowest person on the totem pole then, but got my first taste in uh, these power markets and transmission issues uh, at that time. And I spent um, later work for for chairman and then at the American Wind Energy Association, um, actually where uh, Rich and I did a lot of work together uh, in those years, uh, sort of 10 to 15 years ago. Great. Um, so uh, Rick, I'll send this first one over to you and Rob, I know you'll, you'll add on. Um, What's going on in the U.S. Uh, with our transmission infrastructure, our transmission systems? Well, there's obviously a lot going on. I would say, uh, first of all, and what's heartening in a way is that there's a lot of increased focus on transmission. It used to be, you know, energy policy nerds, maybe like Rob and myself used to talk about it, but you didn't see it in the Wall Street Journal. You didn't see it on some of the news magazine shows on television. Certainly didn't see it, didn't have a discussion about it on, uh, much on Capitol Hill. But now you, you hear it everywhere. And the reason is it's so important to the energy transition that's underway, in large part because we have to um, access uh, what in America is we have great renewable energy resources, but they're located very far away from where people live often. And so we need transmission to be able to access those resources, but also because we need to keep the lights on. And now that we're um, in, in experiencing increased incidences of extreme weather around the country, uh, in many cases due to climate change, uh, the grid is, the, the reliability of the grid is endangered and we need a better, more robust, stronger and larger transmission grid to be able to address those issues. What would you add, Rob? 
Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, depending on who you speak with, they might care more about reliability or more about climate and clean energy. But regardless, the large scale long haul transmission helps a lot with uh, with either one um, or both. And so it is getting a lot of attention. We're seeing with these severe weather incidents that um, in a regional transmission keeps the lights on when you have it and we don't when you don't have it, uh, then then it doesn't. So um it is getting a lot of attention. There's a lot of a lot of activity in each region in the, around the West uh, and, um, you know, central region. I'd like to see a little bit. Well, there's actually some in the northeast, not so much in the southeast or southwest. Um, uh, but there's a lot and then there's a lot happening uh, at, at FERC and in Congress or at least being discussed and plenty happening at the Department of Energy, too. So there is a lot of activity. We'll talk about all those areas. Uh, I'll send this first one to you or this over to you first, Rob. Um, as we look to the midterm, you can define that if you want. Um, how much transmission are we going to need? Uh, and, and maybe following on to that, what does the path look like to, to get there? Sure. Well, a lot of folks, including me, um, reference some of these macro system studies of decarbonization that show a need to double or triple the capacity of the uh, transmission grid. Uh, and you get there by first putting in a lot of electrification. So just the overall, you know, size of the power system grows uh, by a lot, uh, maybe doubles. Um, and, uh, and then the low cost affordable you know, clean energy is mostly wind and solar, and that's mostly remote. And then you also, to get for resource adequacy, you need to move the power back and forth because the wind is always blowing somewhere, as they say. So um, that's that's kind of how much uh, how much we need. And then uh, how do we get there? Um, it's uh, you know, if you were just had a blank whiteboard and wanted to redesign, you know, design the system from scratch, you'd probably put a big eight high voltage DC overlay over the current system. Um, but it's, you know, that concept is uh, pretty foreign to our current industry regulatory structure. Um, it's just hard to see how that could ever happen. You know, maybe, maybe it becomes clearer as people keep banging their head against this problem and um, maybe some opportunities emerge uh, to do that. But um, living in the here and now in the real world, as we all must do, um, I, I see the path through much uh, greater and better regional transmission planning and then greater and better interregional planning and, and connecting the, the systems that way with a combination of uh, H, uh, DC and, and AC uh, network transmission. Uh, that's going to involve some tough conversations about who pays for how much and cost allocation as well as permitting. But, um, you know, we have done big transmission in the past with uh, MISO MVPs 10 years ago and ERCOT CRES lines, competitive renewable energy zones. So like, you know, I, I feel like we can do it. We have done it. Now we just need to do it uh, more and, uh, you know, on a regular basis and on a grander scale. What, what would you add to this, Rich? I think, you know, Rob laid it out well, and I, I can't, I don't think I can provide any better information about how much we need except to say a lot. Um, and the types of transmission, you know, whether it just be HVDC lines or AC lines or whatever it might be, is uh, I think we need everything. It, it's just 
um, Rob laid out, and there are some barriers out there. There's it, it can be done. It's been done in, in certain regions of the country, but it's difficult. How do you? Well, I'm sure we're going to talk more about it. how do you pay for transmission? How do you plan for transmission? How do you site transmission? Those are all barriers that uh, need to be addressed as we move forward. The good news is there are people at FERC, there are people at the Department of Energy, and people around the country, including the state regulators, that are giving a lot of thought to this right now. I, I think we do want to cover all those, and maybe one more before we get to some of those barriers and the solutions. Um, I'll head it over to you first, Rob. Um, what are some of the main dynamics in play in the major regions across the country um, with regards to transmission? What would you, what's happening? What would you like to see happening? Sure. Um, well, I'll start with um, two regions that seem to be doing quite a lot, which is MISO, the Mid-Continent Independent System Operator, and the California ISO area. Um, both of them basically have long-term transmission plans they put together where they started with a uh, estimated future resource mix based on a variety of indicators, including state policy and utility and customer goals. Uh, and then they, um, you know, and, and some amount of electrification, you know, estimates on that. And then they, um, you know, put that together with load and the transmission planners said, we need, you know, these additional lines. Um, they, um, Neither region has sort of fully implemented the long-term vision, but they're they're work they're both making significant steps working towards that. So those are some bright spots uh, reversing the um, decade-long lull in transmission planning. So that's really nice to see. Um, uh, some other regions. I mean, we can talk about um, what. Well, New York is building some finally some transmission from upstate to downstate New York. They've got, you know, some good low cost clean energy in upstate. And obviously the load is mostly down towards New York city. Uh, so there are some spots around the country where some things are happening. There's a lot of conversations in the West that, um, you know, you Bryce and I know rich are deeply engaged in. We can talk about some of that, but I'm, um, just coming off a, trip with a whole bunch of um, utilities from around the West and, you know, hearing a, a lot of discussion about utilities talking together about uh, transmission and independent transmission, either on their own or together with utilities working on things. And then the different groups, Krepsi and others talking about it. So um, how exactly that proceeds is not clear, but there is a lot of discussion. Great. And, and uh, Rick, how about you? Any any highlights on what's going on regionally or any deeper details in the West? Well, just, yeah, just to pick up where Rob left off in terms of the West, and I think it's an interesting region. Around the country, I think there's general a general consensus in every region of the country that there's more transmissions needed and they're all working to try to figure out the best ways to achieve that. The West is, is, is an interesting history, and, and, and there's, you know, there's federal utilities, but the Bonneville Power Administration, the Western Area Power Administration – which own a considerable amount of the transmission grid in the West. So that's different than, than, than other parts of the country. And then the, the prevalence of public power, um, whether it be, um, uh, you know, big municipal utilities or big rural electric cooperatives uh, is also something that's slightly different than, than other parts of the country. Um, what's interesting is that I think there's a recognition where in the, in the past there have been, well, we have all this federal, federal utilities, we have these, these hydropower dams, uh, we're in good shape in the West. Well, that's not, not no longer the case. I think there's significant economic growth leading to increased demand for electricity. 
there's been uh, all sorts of, we talked about extreme weather a few minutes ago, all sorts of extreme weather conditions, which have led people to be concerned about the reliability of the grid. And so I think there's more discussions, as Rob mentioned, in the region about what's going on. I've been working on a, a project with uh, 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 Gridworks and, and um, Krepsi, which basically is made up of the state utility regulators and the state energy officials in the West. And I think there's a lot of focus right now on how to improve the, the process that that is currently not, not leading to the development of what the transmission level that's needed in the region. Well, that should be a good baseline. Now let's, now let's unpack the barriers and, and some of the solutions ahead. Um, Rich, I'll send this over to you first. Um, what do you think is in the way for near-term progress on expanding critical transmission? Maybe you can list out a couple and Rob can then expand on that. Well, I think there's, uh, in, in terms of, you're talking about barriers, right? In, t- in terms of the barriers, uh, you know, we, we talked, we, we addressed a few minutes ago. I think there's the three main ones that everyone talks about, which is planning, cost allocation, and, um, siting. Now I think Rob uses whatever it was at three P's like, uh, uh, planning, paying for, and permitting, which is probably a better, more catchy way of saying it than I just did. But the point is, is that let's take them one by one just quickly. Transmission planning. Um, the way we've been planning for transmission has really been on a short-term basis, not really looking far ahead, saying we might need this particular transmission line to keep the lights on over the next couple of years. But no one's really like they're not. No one's looking at it from an anticipatory perspective. Where are we headed? We know where the country's headed. We know where the West is headed. We know where every region is headed in terms of uh, increased reliance on intermittent resources and clean energy resources. We know where they're located. We don't necessarily plan for transmission to lead to that, uh, lead, to, lead to those resources. We don't necessarily plan for transmission knowing that we're in the process of, of electrification revolution, whether it be on electric vehicles or buildings or whatnot. And so I, one of the key areas in planning is how do we make sure that we plan into the future? Is it long-term enough? Is it anticipatory enough uh, to really capture uh, the changes that are occurring in the industry. Um, cost allocation, again, paying for, that's the biggest issue. I think we're going to get into this in more detail. But the biggest problem is everyone wants transmission built, but no one no one wants to pay for it. They want someone else to pay for it. Understandable, but these are expensive lines, although they produce a lot of benefits. Um, but that's, that's a concern. And then permitting, uh, the way we, in the United States, we permit or site electric transmission facilities. If you're located on private land or state-owned land, each state has responsibility for citing those lines as, as, as opposed to the federal government. And that leads to all sorts of inconsistencies with some states not necessarily being supporting, supportive of citing uh, or permitting a particular transmission line if they know the transmission line is really being built to provide power to, to the adjoining state or several adjoining states. Um, and those, those are the three barriers that, that I think the main barriers that need to be overcome. Anything you want to elaborate on the three Ps, Rob? Sure. Yeah. Well, if Rich used my three P's, then I'll use his phrase that I love, which is uh, about cost allocation, where uh, everyone wants to go to heaven, but no one, no one wants to die. And I think he attributes that to his former boss, Senator Bumpers, uh, which is great because you know everybody does uh, want the transmission to be there, but it's this damn problem where it, it, it's, it is a public good. Everybody benefits from it. Um, and you can't really exclude everybody else from benefiting, which means that if you raise your hand uh, to, to pay for it, you're kind of the, the fool who just uh, subsidizes everybody else and everybody else gets to free ride. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not like it's the only 
uh, type of asset in our economy that has public goods features. Um, but, you know, public goods have u- unique um, uh, aspects like that, that that mean you have to make a concerted effort to figure out how to get the right amount of funding into it. So, um, you know, there's discussions of a tax credit for transmission or, you know, uh, making sure the cost allocation includes all the all the benefits and then all the beneficiaries pay their share, um, which is something that FERC could do under its jurisdiction. Uh, and we can talk about FERC uh, initiatives, um, the key ones uh, started by uh, by Rich and are um, still there for the commission to, to finish. So those are solvable problems, but they're, they're tough. All right. Well, if there's any part of the grid that's not capital light to build out, uh, certainly transmission would be one of those. So let's, let's dive into who pays for this and how. Uh, take it in whatever context you want, maybe the West or just really, you know, how do we pay for this? And, and Rich, maybe you can start. And Rob. So it's a very complicated question. I would first start with, yes, that, that, that transmission is very capital uh, intensive. And we're, sometimes we're talking the billions of dollars in terms of major transmission projects. And people, when they see that, all of a sudden they get very concerned and understandably so. You don't want consumers seeing their bills skyrocket. But I think it should be comforting to know that almost in all cases when transmission projects are planned, those projects can't move forward unless the benefits outweigh the cost. And there's all sorts of benefits, and we can get into that. But um, one particular benefit I think is very much worth noting is that when you build more more, more transmission, you reduce congestion, meaning that more power can flow into a particular area. And generally, that power that's flowing in is going to be cheaper than the power that's already sitting in that area. Uh, And and so you would build a transmission center to save consumers. It might cost a billion dollars, but it might save $2 billion. And so I think there's a significant benefit there. Um, uh, in, in almost all transmission projects that are built. Uh, how you figure out who benefits is the hardest problem, and how you figure out who pays is even harder. And uh, there's all sorts of court cases on this issue, but essentially FERC is responsible. This is difficult to explain, but FERC is responsible for uh, transmission costs that are allocated uh, when a utilities, in, in, in generally in most areas when utilities are not vertically integrated. Uh, in most cases, states or sub, states are um, uh, oversee the cost allocation when, when there's a vertically integrated utility. But FERC's required, and I think the states are probably required in the same manner, to ensure that the costs are allocated, what they call, what the courts have called, roughly commensurate with benefits. So you have to figure out all the benefits and then figure out who's benefiting. And that's not easy, and it's difficult sometimes. to Some of these benefits aren't necessarily easy to monetize, such as reliability, for instance. But that's the role that FERC and other regulators have to play to ensure that the, the cost of these facilities are fairly allocated among all the beneficiaries. Anything to add on paying, Rob? Yeah, well, just to give a couple examples. So like MISO did this in um, its last round MVPs 10 years ago, and it's doing it again currently under its long-range transition plan. And they, they, they look at um, kind of each load zone, like each utility service territory, and say, okay, you know, how much um, – uh, do the uh, how much are the benefits uh, to this zone? Uh, you know, I think generally in this most recent one, there was sort of a two to one benefit to cost, uh, and there wasn't that much variation um, between them. Um, but you know, you could, in theory, if you do have a plan that had a lot of variation, you could have one area pay more than another area. Um, 
so that's sort of how you do it. The, obviously, it's it's very hard to nail down exactly the benefits. And it, even if you look back at like the MISO MVPs, which were largely built to deliver uh, power from the west, the upper Great Plains towards, you know, to the east, Chicago and points east. Um, well, you know, there are certain times when the power flow the other way in these winter storms like Erie, um, that, you know, that, those same lines kept the lights on in the upper Midwest with uh, east to west flow. So who then is the beneficiary really long term when you're looking at these, you know, 60 year assets that will be there to provide power in any number of scenarios. So prospectively, you can sort of do that with scenario planning. But again, the I think the emphasis is on the uh, the court's term roughly commensurate. Um, you know, you can't you can't bean count every every electron electron and who who uses it. Great. Let's talk a little bit about FERC. Um, the agency has been pretty active on this topic, including the recent. I think they're probably calling it 2023 ruling. Um, what's happening uh, at FERC around transmission? I'll hand it over to you first, Rob. Sure. Well, Rich kicked off a really important rulemaking on transmission planning and cost allocation um, that, uh, you know, I think if finalized in the, uh, at least the originally intended form could be one of the bigger rulemakings in the agency's history. Um, And it's uh, possible partly because the courts have been very clear over the last 10 or 20 years about FERC's authority on transmission planning. You know, Order 1000 was challenged and then the courts said, no, you have, you know, you have plenty of authority here. And so uh, what they have authority for is the planning process, the methodology. So that's what it's really about, saying every transmitting utility needs to plan, do scenario planning, plan for the future resource mix and these other things. Uh, And so if we, you know, if that gets finalized um, in this, I think, you know, in the the strong and meaningful form, uh, it could really make a difference. Now, again, a lot of regions are already doing that, and that's fine. FERC is always usually, you know, always accommodating of regions if they, you know, if they're already doing it or, or they want to do it a particular way as long as they're getting the job done. I imagine there would be flexibility there, as there usually is. But uh, it would, you know, it would not allow a region to just continue to do nothing. So I'm, I'm hopeful. It's going to take some time. As you mentioned, they are busy still finishing up order 2023 because there's then going to be rehearing on that. And um, uh, I know staff has been working on the planning rule, um, but there's still a lot of senior staff and commissioner office, um, you know, probably processing of the big policy calls to make in that. So, it, you know, it might not be for three, three to six months, but um, I'm, I'm hopeful they'll do that. And then they're also talking about something on interregional. Um, uh, you know, the, the constraint is really on staff time and commission ability to process all these things. So they'll, you know, they did interconnection first and hopefully they'll do the planning rule next. And then whenever they can get to the interregional, I expect, um, something on that. Meanwhile, you know, some commissioners terms expire and new commissioners will be coming on. So this will be a bit of a moving target over coming one to three years of, you know, who's voting on what at, at FERC. But I think these initiatives are are underway. And I, you know, the, the current chairman, current chairman, Willie Phillips, says he's going to carry carry on what they've been working on. So I'm hopeful they will. Rick, you able to comment on your, your former post and what's in motion? Sure. I think it's important to really think about this in terms of buckets. There's a whole 
variety of transmission issues that are out there that, that the commission, FERC in particular, is trying to address. Uh, and both of you mentioned Order 2023, which is really focused on improving the way generators op- uh, connect to the grid. Uh, and that there are all sorts of problems associated with that. It's taking forever right now. And, 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 and I think the commission's rule, along with some of the activities that are going on around the country, will hopefully address that. And Rob mentioned the transmission planning and cost allocation proposal, which is sitting out there. And hopefully FERC will get to that relatively soon. Uh, but then there's a variety of other issues. Rob pointed out inter- interregional transmission. There's some discussion about uh, maybe establishing a requirement that there be a certain amount of interregional transmission capacity between different regions of the country, whether not just west to east, but different RTOs, for instance, having different having different amounts of uh, of trans- transmission capacity to allow those transfers that Rob mentioned were so helpful, and they really were during Winter Storm Uri and Winter Storm Elliot and other um, uh, weather incidents as well. Uh, but there's other issues out there that I think FERC will be addressing as well. It's, it's kind of they're all lined up, right? And some some of them are going to be some of them are related to cost cost containment, some of the commissioners have expressed a deep interest in that, and rightly so, in the sense that we're talking about a lot of costs and we're talking about allocating costs. We want to make sure that uh, the costs that are incurred in building out the grid of the future are, is done in a, in a way that's smart using um, grid-enhancing technologies and others, but also to make sure that consumers uh, get, get the get best bang for their buck, so to speak. And then there's also uh, going to be some activity at FERC on how do you incent investments in transmission. Um, I think Rob mentioned or, uh, that there was a there had been a proposal out there for tax credits for transmission that did not pass Congress at least uh, in the recent legislation. But um, FERC actually has the authority to provide incentives, whether that be increased rates of return or other um, uh, financial incentives that would presumably encourage uh, transmission companies and utilities to build out the grid and also build the grid in a smart way. And so I think you're going to be seeing all these issues lined up, and the commission will be pretty busy. I would say more than one to three years, I'm going to guess over the next five years with all of these issues. Right. Um, So I'm going to pivot a little bit. Congress took a a big jump on energy infrastructure spending uh, in their recent packages, uh, but those seem to maybe have more of a modest transmission element. You mentioned some of the things that were not in there. Um, Do you see some meaningful areas that relate to transmission in those packages? If if so, what, what stands out? I'll send it to you first, Rob. Yeah, uh, there are some. Uh, I mean, there's certainly a lot of work uh, at the Department of Energy, and they have a new um, grid deployment office, which is exciting. And there's great people; they're doing a lot of really good work. Um, uh, and they're they're even doing some things with uh, authorities that have been lying around that nobody ever noticed or implemented, um, like uh, having DOE serve as a, a lead agency for uh, environmental reviews of uh, transmission projects. So they're doing a lot, but uh, Congress also gave them this transmission facilitation program, which is really um, a very useful um, program potentially. Obviously, it's just getting started. Um, and they, they do have some dollars. They've got, um, they've got a couple of $5 billion buckets of, of money, but it's not really for new transmission lines. So um, it's, you know, it's certainly nice uh, to have those uh, those buckets of resources to help with system resilience, seeing the you know continued threats of wildfires and uh, other things on the grid, hurricanes, etc. Um, but again, uh, I think it's really important for you know getting new transmission lines built, and that's where there there really isn't much. And that investment tax credit for transmission um, 
was eliminated from the uh, Inflation Reduction Act uh, in the process. So that's not there. So, um, you know, there were a lot of resources for generation, wind, solar, storage, CCS, hydrogen, you know, everybody knows all the buckets of the Inflation Reduction Act. But the transmission system itself did really didn't get very much in the scheme of things in terms of transmission, um, you know, investment uh, needs. So, Rick, so there's still more to do. Anything that stands out to you that that maybe Rob didn't cover? Yeah, I, I, I first of all, I, I agree that there uh, isn't a, a lot of money comparatively to some of the other programs in the Inflation Reduction Act. But nonetheless, um, there are some important uh, issues, and I think the one that I wanted to highlight what Rob raised because I think it's very important, especially for the West, and that is the Department of Energy being the lead agency when it comes to permitting transmission projects in terms of federal government approval. So we talked about this a few minutes ago about how the states have primary authority over siting transmission over in on private and, and, uh, and state-owned land. But in the West in particular, because there's so much federally-owned land, it's a major issue that is the federal government's um, siting responsibilities. And it occurs through BLM, the Interior Department, certainly the Forest Service as well, and other agencies. And it's been quite frankly problematic um, it's taken a lot. Takes a long time, much longer in many cases than citing projects on private land. And I think the Department of Energy taking the becoming the lead agency and taking the interest in this um, in the process, I think, should spur along these projects. And, and my guess is, dramatically increase the pace with, with those project with, with those projects are reviewed and approved. Um, I know Jigger's Loan Program Office got a lot of additional dollars and said they're open for business to expand transmission. Are, are you optimistic that that could have an impact? Um, absolutely. And I know that they're, it, 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 they, they've done a, a tremendous job with what used to be the DOE loan program. It looks like a whole new program now in terms of how fast um, they consider applications and so on. And there certainly are uh, proposals for transmission and transmission-related technologies that have been put forth in the department. And so I think that would, that will help in the long term. So let's pivot, uh, staying at the federal level. Um, there's been some long standing conversations about around significant permitting reform. Um, those got caught into, uh, various budget, uh, conversations this year and are still pending. Um, what's the current status of, of transmission, uh, and wider permitting reform, Rob? within Congress. Yeah. Well, as we speak here towards the end of August, uh, it's been a very quiet August. Uh, it's usually recess time anyway, but, um, since there were some reforms, um, that Republicans asked for and the white house agreed to in the debt ceiling de deal in the late spring, um, that took a lot of the, um, you know, impetus out of, um, broader permitting reform. Um, so it's a little bit harder to see what deal comes together uh, at this point. I, I think there are some remaining remaining process related um, permitting reforms, and I think you know generally Democrats are you know okay talking about process reforms that speed things up or remove dupli duplicative steps, et cetera. Uh, but they they don't want to change any underlying environmental standards. Um, so I think there are probably some additional things there, but I think the Democrats would want to see, um, make sure that anything they agree to there uh, would go along with some type of transmission policy that gets a lot of transmission built. Um, and that could be a, you know, a true permitting related provision, or it could be something like cost allocation that 
um, just helps get transmission built, whether or not it's technically a permitting issue or not. So that's still, I think, the scope of discussion that is happening. Um, uh, and I would also say that on the transmission side, a lot of the Republican offices um, haven't been paying attention, not that they necessarily should have been or needed to be, but in recent years, it just happens to be that the Democrats all got excited about transmission in the last few years uh, to the point where literally, I think it's fully unanimous across House and Senate Democrats that they support ambitious transmission expansion uh, and policies associated with that. And it's sort of for that, partly potentially for that reason that Republicans look at it now and say, wait a minute, if they love it, there must be, must be something I don't like about it, which is funny for me and Rich because we were around in the early 2000s when there was all the Republicans, Domenici, Bush, Pat Wood, et cetera, leading all this transmission, uh, federal transmission policy, but uh, such as, you know, life in a partisan world. So that's kind of where we are. Now, Republican offices are asking a lot of questions. I, at least I'm, I'm, observing that, that they're, you know, they're not necessarily posed, but they're trying to get up to speed. Maybe I do like this, or maybe I want to help, but not in that way. So, um, you know, it could be that more conversations lead to some opportunities uh, a little bit down the road here. Rick, anything on permitting, or do you want me to send the next one to you? Well, just to quickly on permitting, I, I, you know, I, I think Rob laid out very well the political dynamics, and it is, you know, difficult at this point to foresee Citing legislation moving forward, although there, you know, you never know things. Now people said that about the Inflation Reduction Act, and it got done. But I would say that I think it is inevitable that at some point Congress will pass some sort of legislation on permitting uh, related to transmission, which will give FERC more authority than it has today, uh, which today currently has very limited authority, but more authority in terms of citing at least certain types of transmission lines, um, for the very reason that I think people see that the state by state approach has. Has some downsides. So taking us to a new topic, um, transmission projects may be second only to nuclear and other massive generation assets uh, really struggle with NIMBY issues. Um, are there ways to balance land and stakeholder interests um, as transmission wires come, come through communities so that we can actually get them built? So first of all, I, I would say that uh, I, I'm not, I think there's a lot of uh, NIMBY issues, I mean, with transmission, but I don't think it's any different than natural gas pipelines or in some cases wind farms or solar farms. There's just NIMBYism across the United States, and it's difficult. Every uh, infrastructure developer these days is concerned about it. I think there's a couple things that need to be done. First of all, um, uh, the, you know, it's important for the, tra- for the transmission developer to to, to, to get, you know, into the community as quickly as possible, talk to the folks about that, make them more comfortable. Secondly, from a, a transmission line siting perspective, uh, there are ways to diminish the impact on communities, whether it's undergrounding lines, or that's sometimes expensive, or whether it's siting transmission lines along other corridors like highways or um, train tracks or something like that. Um, and then third, just making sure that, um, uh, individual landowners are heard. I said, you know, we at FERC spent an enormous amount of time, much more than I ever thought, on the siting of natural gas pipelines, which FERC does have authority over. And a lot of times, it just was uh, really a lack of communication between pipeline developers and, and landowners and local community activists. Uh, and I think that uh, hopefully, uh, transmission developers will developers will learn from that and engage in better community um, communication. Mm-hmm. 
Anything else on that, Rob? Yeah, no, I think all that's right. Um, on existing corridors, I think it's, it's notable that the MISO's recent long-range transmission plan had about 85% uh, was on existing corridors. So there are opportunities for that. Uh, and technologies can help there, like reconductoring over uh, existing rights-of-way and even with the existing towers. Um or, you know, going a little bit bigger with, um, you know, replacing the towers and, and getting even more uh, capacity out, maybe a little widening of the right of way. There are these, you know, gradations of opportunities. Um, now, we, we haven't talked about grid enhancing technologies to squeeze more out of the existing system, but that's, you know, that's a factor tier. And, and you know, all those things, I think, give people comfort that we're, you know, we're, we're, we're minimizing the times where we really need a new right of way. So we definitely will new, need new rights of way, but we're also doing everything we can with, uh, with existing opportunities. Great. A couple more topics before we wrap up. Um, I think capacity utilization is just a really interesting dynamic topic these days. So if assets are pushed more to full use, economics make a lot more sense. But then at the same time, those narrow operating margins means you don't have as much flexibility, which we need a lot of flexibility in our systems now. Um, what do you think are, are good ways to strike the balance as we look towards pushing capacity utilization higher? I'll start with you, Rob. Well, that's an interesting uh, way to put it. I like it. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of um, capacity utilization issues um, that um, that tie to transmission investment, like... Um, you know, on the generation side, the, the, uh, the reserve margins are really expensive. If you have to have really high reserve margins, that's paying for a lot of capacity. And if you have a much more robust transmission system, you save a lot of money on generation capacity. And so that's, you know, that's usually where the economics, um, you know, get really strong for, uh, for transmission. So we want to use those, um, the generation capacity. Uh, efficiently. And then the transmission capacity itself, again, uh, grid enhancing technologies um, and markets like the Western market, if we get an RTO or some or two or, you know, greater market mechanisms in the West, for example, on the Southeast, uh, that uses the transmission system a lot more efficiently. So things like that for transmission system utilization. Uh, and then the other thought I had um, about capacity utilization is, um, you know, looking at the, the demand side and as people get electric vehicles that could be charging at really, um, you know, grid helpful times or grid unhelpful times, you know, boy, it would sure would be important if every state would say now is a critical, you know, pivotal moment with these uh, vehicles just coming on to really uh, put in the signals to, to get that, um, in place. And that, that would help a lot with distribution system utilization, which I know you work on a lot on Bryce. Yeah. Great. Rob, uh, Rich, I'm going to ask you a second to last question. Have you kick this off as we, as we come near the end here, um, putting one foot in front of the other. And I know we've probably talked about a lot of these things already, so it may be a bit of a recap. Um, what are some of the next things that key stakeholders can do for making progress to expand transmission capacity? Uh, well, I think first of all, is is keep the focus on the issue. I, as I talked about earlier about how uh, the good news is that people are much more focused on this issue in the past. And I think it's very important that people keep on talking about it because it's vitally important. We're going to achieve all sorts of uh, goals, public policy goals, but also reliability goals. Um, 
and second, I think, uh, and it takes some time, but pursue the three the three Ps that Rob Rob's three Ps essentially, and figuring out a way to 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 knock down those barriers because you know we have all sorts of if you look at the people's goals in terms of achieving all this new generation that's going to be added to the grid, whether it be by 2030, 2035, 2040, different states have goals, different utilities have goals. And then, of course, there's the Inflation Reduction Act that provides all these benefits to investments in these projects. A lot of this isn't going to, a lot of these goals aren't going to be met without the grid being expanded substantially. And so I think it's very important uh, to put uh, the entire focus of regulators, entire focus of industry on this very important problem. How about you, Rob? Next steps for success. Yeah, well, I, th- I think a lot of parties can engage in, in the transmission planning. The states certainly can. Um, there's resources potentially available from the Department of Energy to help with that. Um, so, uh, you know, I think uh, get, in, get involved in that. Um, that'll be really important. We need regional consensus on, you know, the amount and type and location of the new transmission system. It really is a shared system. So it, it is, um, you know, it does make sense. And there are processes uh, for, for people to get involved. Well, maybe we'll have to have you guys back because I had a whole section of questions around transmission um, as it you know, relates to grid resiliency, distributed resources coming online, markets, electrification on wires, the people power, the institutional knowledge to get this done, breakthrough innovation. So there's a whole section we couldn't cover, but I think we're at our time. So, Rob, I'm going to start with you and, and Rick give you the last word on our last question here. Um, taking a lens of maybe one, three, and 10 years or, or approximating in that near term, shorter term, and midterm, what do you think success looks like for transmission development, uh, both in the wider US and, and if you have some thoughts specifically here in the West? Sure. I'd say, yeah. So let's say five years. If we have a robust transmission plan uh, that is in place and approved and you know beginning to move forward in each region I think that will be a, uh, a very big success and everybody will will benefit um, uh, you know it requires parties coming together uh, it may be um, prompted by the FERC rule requiring that that plan um, and you know hopefully within five years we're, we're more than plans, but actually, you know, have the routes, the permits, and um, maybe some construction of parts of it. Um, and so uh, that's, that's uh, I guess, what I look forward to. It's very achievable. Again, that's the type of thing we did, you know, in, in three or four regions 10 years ago, and then it all stopped, and, and it's just beginning to get going again. So we, we know we can do it, and, and if we can do it in every region, um, I think we'll all be better off. All right, last last word, measuring success, Rick. Well, I'm going to focus on the West a bit uh, because your question also talked about the West. And, and I think, to me, the success is, one, is maybe in year one, uh, taking a look at the institutions that are uh, currently engaging in transmission planning. Uh, if you look at the West, there's three transmission planning regions, the California ISO, which does a pretty good job. Um, and then there's uh, Northern Grid and West Connect, and most people are – uh, dismayed at the level of transmission planning that's that's occurred uh, in both of those regions. So I think the first year would be improving or taking a look at improving the uh, the uh, uh, the entities that that engage in transmission planning. Uh, maybe in three years, uh, hopefully there'll be a more robust discussion among the leaders in in the West 
about how to about uh, addressing some of the additional barriers and additional transmission planning to get these projects moving along, knowing full well that that it's very much needed to address all sorts of reliability issues and resource adequacy issues in the region. And then finally, in 10 years, hopefully, there'll be a significant amount of additional transmission in the region built. Rob Rick, thanks for being on. We really appreciate perspectives on this uh, dynamic topic. Thanks for joining us. Great to be with you, Bryce. Thank you.